The Adam Crowley Show. I'm with you, and you know what? That'd be an even better point than your cheese teeth today. And that's saying something, because your cheese teasers are unbelievable. Thank and you, sir. my favorite thing on Twitter. Adam Crowley. Oh, yeah. Cheese. Yeah. On ESPN Pittsburgh. Will Graves going to join us from the Associated Press in about 15 minutes here on the Crowley Show. I thought that the Penguins were lacking desperation this last year. I think it's easy. When you're satisfied, well, what happens? When you get engaged, sometimes you get fat. When you get married, sometimes you don't care what you're wearing. Because you're satisfied. You're happy. You're okay with the way life is. The Penguins got fat a little bit this year. They won the championship two years in a row. And at the beginning portion of the season, my God, they did not care at all about playing defense. And because of that, I thought that it all translated to them not playing great defense even down the stretch. But in the playoffs, they're playing a team in Washington that had been told a bunch that they're never going to get it done. Two of the best teams in franchise history were thwarted by the Penguins in back-to-back seasons. This year's team saw a lot of that team torn apart. And they were told they couldn't do it. They were told they weren't good enough. They were told that Alexander Ovechkin's legacy was going to be that of Dan Marino, a great player who is not ever able to win a championship. So they're hungry. They're pissed off for greatness. They're all kinds of jammed. They're playing like a team that wanted it more than the Pittsburgh Penguins. And that's not the only reason. I hate being that guy. I don't want to act as if the X's and O's and the actual playmaking ability of the Capitals didn't have anything to do with them beating the Penguins. But I do think that the motivation was a huge part here. The Penguins weren't as motivated as Washington. And you could see it. When Ovechkin scored... When Olimata had the atrocious turnover and then got grabbed and hauled down by Tom Wilson, the celebration just showed you how much he cared, how much they cared. How many times this postseason did we see Alexander Ovechkin look possessed? Not whenever he's on the ice, but on the bench when his team scores a goal. After Kuznetsov scored from his pass that sent him on the breakaway, We saw Ovechkin have a look of relief on his face. They wanted it, and the Penguins had been satisfied. They're like the married dude who gains 15 pounds in the first year. I don't got to try anymore. I'm satisfied. Everything's good. Hey, wife, does this shirt look okay? That doesn't matter. Eh, Who cares? Does this match? Eh, Who cares? The Penguins, they cared. And I'm not even saying that this is something that was in the forefront of their mind. But subconsciously, they didn't want it as much. So I wonder, and I'm asking you, Pittsburgh, at 412-922-2874, does that get fixed with adding new players to this roster? Does that get fixed with young blood? Or does disappointment of not winning the Cup change that? Because I think if the Penguins went in next year with this same exact roster, if they get all the RFAs signed, they could win the Stanley Cup. Crosby and Gensel and Sprong and Malkin and Haglin and Hornquist and Brassard 
and Kessel and Sherry and Zach Aston Reese and Rust and Shahan. I think that forward group is good enough to win the championship. And I think, for the most part, the Penguins' top four is very good if Chris Letang gets his act together. I think that team, on paper, is better than the team that Washington just won with. I think that team, on paper, is better than just about any team in the Eastern Conference or the league as a whole. But do you need new blood just for the sake of having new blood? I hate change just for the sake of change, but sometimes maybe it's not just for the sake of change. Maybe change itself can spur the Penguins on to a new height. Maybe the change can help the Penguins get some new young blood in their lineup that hasn't won, that wants to win, that changes the whole dynamic of the room. I think getting Sprong changes some things. I think Broussard will help. He was not healthy last year. I think he'll be fine this year if he is healthy. More than fine. I think he's a very good player. He's never won a championship. He was close in Ottawa. He's close in New York. He probably wants to win one, huh? So I think hunger will come from within there. But if you bring in a couple of players who are going to fill out your bottom six, who are young, who have the exuberance, I think that helps. Connor Sherry, Brian Rust, Tom Kuhnhockel were all absolutely key to the Penguins winning the championship back in 2016. And Jake Gensel, the year after, in 2017, was absolutely crucial to their success. Now, they put up, they scored some goals, they tallied some points. But I think they were able to take a Penguins team that felt stale and make it not so stale. I don't know if this Penguins team feels stale, but I do know that they were satisfied. And I do think that that wound up being a factor in their ultimate demise. I do. So the question is, do you need to add blood? Do you need new players? Or do you think just getting disappointed will add the hunger? I think it's probably a little bit of both. I think they're going to make changes. And I think that Sidney Crosby seeing Alexander Ovechkin lift the cup over his head probably pissed him off. I imagine that Evgeny Malkin seeing the cup raised over Ovechkin's head probably pissed him off. We had Rob Rossi on, I think it was last week, and he said that Evgeny Malkin told him that in the handshake line, he said, okay, go win it because we're coming for you. So I do think that the Penguins are going to be more hungry next year than they were this year. It's really hard to get up for an October hockey game whenever you've played as many games as you can the last two years. 412-922-2874. Do they need new blood or the disappointment of not winning? Does that change the mindset of the Pittsburgh Penguins? Again, I'll be the douchebag who says it's a little bit of both. Change happens in the salary cap. But I think they need better two-way players at forward, and I think they need a little bit more speed as the league is caught up to them. And I think that they just need to remember what it's like to fail. Man, failure is a huge teacher. If I came on every day and did a tremendous radio show, and I do, but Brian didn't tell me the things that I bleeped up, I'm never going to get better. When you're winning championships, you're going to be pretty satisfied with yourself. You're going to be patting yourself on the back. 
Well, the Penguins didn't now, and I think it's going to help them this year. You see that the Royals traded their closer. They are 22-50. and 50. They are a disaster. They have the 29th-rated farm system in all of Major League Baseball, according to MLB.com. They went all in. They won a World Series. They went to two, and then they were 81-81 and 81 for a couple of straight years, and then after that, under 500, and here we are. But they went for it. They won a championship. And their philosophy is so much different than that of the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Pirates think, okay, we're going to do everything we can to be competitive for as long as we can and keep the window open. Meanwhile, the Kansas City Royals, they say, we're going to go all in. We're going to get Johnny Cueto. We're going to get Ben Zobris. We're going to sign Kendris Morales. We're going to get Edinson Volquez. We're going to give up a bunch of prospects in order to bring in the Cuetos and the Zobris of the world. And then we're going to get ourselves a damn ring. And in our window, we are going to maximize the opportunity to win in said window. The Pirates want the window to be open for a long period of time. The teams like the Royals and the Indians, they see their window, and they want to jump through the damn thing. They actually want to get something done in that window, as opposed to the Pirates whose window lasted three years. I'm going to stop saying window now. And all they did was play one series against the St. Louis Cardinals and lose. Because they didn't go all in. Because they didn't add enough. Sometimes it's okay to mortgage for the future, even if you are a small market team. And in fact, I think if you're a small market team, it might be more important to mortgage for the future. To mortgage, pardon me, the future. I think it's more important to do that. If you're the Yankees, you're going to be in the mix every year. If you're the Yankees in the Dodgers, in the Red Sox, every damn year you're going to be in conversation to make the playoffs. Most years, those teams do. If you're St. Louis, most years you're going to have an opportunity at the playoffs. Chicago, big market, most years they're going to have an opportunity at the playoffs. Washington, most years, going to have an opportunity at the playoffs. So when you're a team like that, you don't necessarily have to throw everything in at this year. Now, they can because they've got the resources. But the Pirates, they're a small market team. When their window shows up, they have to take advantage. You have to throw everything at it. I think they're operating as though they're a major market team when they're a small market team. They're saying we can try to extend our period of contention instead of trying to make our Window only a year or two. And I think the Pirates made a huge mistake by doing that. A small market team should try to put a banner up whenever they can. Because maybe you're only going to make the playoffs once every eight years. And when you do, you want something to show for it. Pirates have nothing. Oh, great. Fabulous 2013 wild card game. I loved it. We have a t-shirt for that? Wild card champs? No. No, no, 2013 wild card game champs, and then on the back it just says, Cueto dropped the ball. The Royals maximized their opportunity to win. The Indians did everything they could to. And the Pirates, they're all about trying to put their name into the hat as much as possible. 
instead of being like the Royals and just stealing the damn hat. Coming up next, we'll talk about that with Will Graves of the Associated Press. It's Crowley Show. Granger stands for safety, and they know what safety stands for. S, safety. A, all about safety. F, feeling good about safety. E, extreme safety. T, talking about safety. Y, you guessed it, safety. First aid kits, eye wash stations, fire protection. You name it. For over 90 years, they've been helping to keep facilities safe and people safer. When it comes to safety, Granger's got your B-A-C-K. Call or click Granger.com to see for yourself. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Someone just commented on the Cheese Tease video and said, Katie is hot AF. (laughs) 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 It was Chase Williams from Channel 11. We interrupt our regularly scheduled program for this breaking news update on ESPN Pittsburgh. Pedro Alvarez has been DFA'd by the worst team in baseball. Ouch. That would be like me getting fired from this radio station. Will Graves joins us here on the show. Hello, Graves. How are you today? (laughs) I'm good, bud. By the way, that was the worst that that, that that was the worst bump music in the history of my appearances on the Crowley Show. I believe, firmly believe, that is the worst song in the nineties. By the way, you don't that's like all, smooth. That is by far. Yeah, I mean, there's there's another like a London beat song from like ninety three that I is like in the close second, but like that is literally I just my own personal preference. It's, it's like the worst. Well, is it is it Rob Thomas's fault or is it Santana's fault? Uh, I think it's Rob, it's Rob Thomas's fault, but it's also sort of Santana's fault because he was thinking, "Hey, I need to you know make a little money here," and so you know, and I, you say that, and yet um, I'm at PNC Park, and the music for the uh, Brewers BP is what what was Matt? It's the Matchbox Twenty, so maybe I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe I should just realize it's Rob Thomas's world, and I should just shut up. Maybe that's where we're at. It is Rob Thomas's world, and I'm a big Matchbox 20 fan, in fact. Matchbox 20, okay. That song, terrible. Yes. But no. I mean, I can, I can <laughs> see, I, I will accept that opinion more so than the opinion that Matchbox 20 is terrible. No, I mean, I think, every, like, what, that first, their first big album? I mean, um, there's that one song, you know, it's, She's sitting by the overcoat, the second shelf, the note she wrote that I can't get myself to throw away. I love that song. I, I karaoke that song. I just can't remember the title of it. That's a great song. Tom, get as many. Santana, not, with Santana, just not, just not great. See, I, I think it's, I like Santana. I like Rob Thomas. And I, right. I, it's like, it's like my it favorite people having a kid. It was, it, it was one of those, let's try to make some money deals. And I don't like that. There's no <sighs> real compelling evidence for them to do songs together. Tom. For the rest of this segment, I would like you to play Matchbox 20 songs under us. Can you please, can you please take care of this? Okay, very good. Uh, will Graves from the Associated Press joins us here on the Crowley Show. One more question for you, Will. Uh, I am hungover as all get out today. I went to a concert yesterday and then did not call off today because I'm a champion. I'm basically a tough hockey player man kind of thing going on right now. And I wonder, at 7.45 in the morning, am I allowed to eat a cheeseburger? Because I did it at 10 a.m. two days ago. And today I was so hungover, it's the first thing I wanted to eat, and I did. That's, 
Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, I think that's fine. But, I mean, you're a young dude, and your show's at, what, like four? Yeah. You're, you're still hungover at four? Yeah. Uh, Pursuita made me drink a shot of Jameson. He, I bet you Pursuita was probably, well, he probably did the morning show, right? He didn't, no. Well, he would have if he had had to, because he's a professional. He is. I've seen him do work at training camp and then be on the morning show the next day. So he could have handled it. I can't. I'm terrible at the whole drinking thing these days. because you're too skinny. It's part of the problem. I'm working on not being skinny by drinking as much as I am. It's a solid game plan. Will, you were there. You asked the question of Neil Huntington, which then got him to say things about the fan base that the fan base well, took negatively. Uh, I mean, yes. I, I just... Uh, you know, he had. I saw that he had countered the Morosi report by saying we are in a position to add. Now, I, I, I can't stand for that. I, like I, I've been fine with. I've been, I've been here seven years. Neil's been very cordial to me seven years. But like, why did he have to say add? Okay, and then he doesn't like to talk about attendance. But I countered it by saying the commissioner talked about attendance. And attendance is down all over the league. It's down eight percent. Here it's down what twenty three, twenty four. And I'm just like, how? I was trying to get him to answer. How could you? Say, use the word "ad" when obviously your revenues decline because nobody's going to your game. And uh, he finally sort of capped it. Now, I mean, but he he said they are one is not mutually dependent on the other. But I mean, and he didn't. It's just he just didn't have to say "ad." He could have just said, "We'll play six more weeks to see where we're at." Like that's the problem that bothered me. You know. I mean, and I, I saw him in the hallway afterwards, and we and we chatted briefly. And I said, "Look, I'm I'm sure you're going to get to meet for what you said. Uh, I'm just doing my job." And he said, "I understand." He's like, "I'm trying to protect the 25 guys we got in that room." I get that too, because you can't have the general manager saying when you're around 500, which is better than most of us thought they were going to be at this spot in the season, right? Um, and they're not completely out of it, although uh, they'd have to be good for a, quite a while to kind of really truly get in it. You know, you just you can't have your GM say, yeah, we're bailing at the deadline, six weeks out of the deadline. That just that ruins whatever good mojo you got going on in the clubhouse. But you just can't say ad. You just can't. You just can't say ad. And then talk about what you did last year where you got rid of your, you know, struggling, albeit struggling, but expensive former all-star setup man slash closer and flipped him for what, 48-year-old Joaquin Benoit, who he paid <laughs> 10 bucks, you know, on, on 10 cents on the dollar for and, you know, Sean Rod, who's a, a, a good clubhouse guy, had, had a great moment when he came back, but wasn't exactly a difference maker. And George Contos, who's looking for work, you know, less than a year later. So that, I mean, and I get it. He is, it is and I've said this many, many, many times, it is not his money. It is not his money. He has given a budget. He has worked within the parameters of that budget. And they're paying him money to go out there and talk. Because, you know, who ain't talking, Frank ain't talking, and Bob ain't talking. So this is part of the job. And it sucks for him, and I feel for him sometimes because I understand his bosses are paying him to basically stand out there every week and take the bullet. Well, see, and that's the thing that bothers me. You also agreed to an extension. So, I mean, well, you also agreed to say, hey, I'm going to do this for four to five more years. And to be fair, I'm one, and I'm sorry, I'm almost done. You know, they <laughs> built it once. They should be given the opportunity to build it again. But just be honest about it. Well, you know, just be upfront about it, and, and, and I'm fine with it. That's well, and, and I'll agree with that, too. That's what irritates me. I mean, he's setting himself up to fail here, right? Like, when they ultimately do fall out of it and he hasn't added any pieces, 
He'll say, yeah, well, at the deadline, we were out of it. Well, okay, when you talked about adding as opposed to subtracting, you were 35 and 36. You were a game below 500. You were then four games uh, of the wild card. So why wouldn't you just add now instead of saying that you're going to add? Shouldn't he just be supplementing the ball club at this point instead of saying he's going to? I think that they're thinking Jung Ho is an ad. Yeah. I think that they're thinking, you know, if they bring Kingham up full time, that's an ad. I, mean, I think when he says ad, that that's what he thinks. But you know, he, Neil doesn't. That doesn't translate in Neil speak to the general public. And unfortunately, you know, they've done a really good job of eroding the good vibes and good mojo they built from thirteen to fifteen, and really from eleven to fifteen because I mean they got better every year. Uh, just about. I mean, they was. The wood loss total was a little bit higher in 14 than 13, but they still finish in the same spot, you know, as the top wild card. So, but they have, you know, trust me, I got more reaction out of that when I tweeted that out than I've gotten on anything about the Pirates in a long time, and most of it was anger. Yeah, a lot and, of anger. You know, people angry that they didn't build on 15, that they got their money because they had 30,000 people here at night, and they took it and they saved it and they didn't go out and spend it. So, and again, it's not Neil's money to spend. He is told what he can spend. However, part of his job is to go out there and talk to, you know, us once a week or sometimes more and try to make sense of it. And it's, I mean, he takes a lot of bullets. He takes a lot of bullets for a lot of other people. That's what, that's the reality of it. But, you know, that's part of the job, right? I mean, it's like Sarah Sanders. She might not be, you know, a harpy, but. She's paid to be, right? I mean, she is. I did. Yeah, okay. Have you talked about it? I mean, I, you don't have to. No, I did talk about it. In fact, I've got I've got two minutes left. Two minutes we can spend on Ed Werder here because here's the fun. Here's what's well, funny's probably not the right word. Here's the deal with Ed. He's not going to have a problem getting a job. You want to know why? Because he's been a he's a white guy who's in the industry for thirty years, and I think that right there just tells you everything. And it's, you know, trust me, me and some members of the, of the Pittsburgh media have been in a text exchange, and also me and Chris Adansky from the trip, a extended, I mean, Chris and I are friends, an extended heated exchange about this. I mean, I... Why am I not, why was, wasn't I invited? What happened? I don't know. What he said, I mean, Chris's assessment was, well, I was trying to say that it, everything should be based simply on merit, and whether you deserve, and not gender, race, whatever. And while that is sort of I mean, I think everybody sort of agrees with that. When you literally have thousands of years of oppression, you can't fix, you can't even the scales in the generation. You cannot do that. And and, and the irony is, like, this whole thing started by a, a, a female journalist saying, hey, female journalists, apply for this job. It'd be cool. That was it. It wasn't, say, hire a woman. She didn't say hire a woman. She said, hey, if you want to sit in the office with me, that'd be cool. And, and, and I say this is, you know, one of my very best friends in the business is Nancy Armour. She's a columnist for the USA Today, longtime AP staffer. And I see the stuff that she has to put up with every day. Oh, yeah. Every day. Every damn day. I don't deal with that. You know, I mean, the, the, there, there's 18 guys in the press box here tonight. Uh, they're, in the clubhouse today, there were 18. There were two minorities, 16 white guys, and zero women. I think the white guys are just fine. Yeah, they would have been okay without Mr. Werder sticking up for all of us, huh? Yes. I mean, we still got, I mean, we're, you know, I, we are not among the oppressed. We are not. And to say, and to insinuate that we are is stupid. So, that's it. Nah, we probably should have spent the whole segment on that. But now we can't. So, goodbye. See you. 
What? Always with the see ya. Always with the real quick goodbye from Will Graves. What the heck, man? Hey, I ask him a question. He talks for four minutes. I say goodbye. That's it. That's it. No pleasantries. Nothing. Coming up next, maybe Dale will be friendlier to me. Dale Lawley of DKPittsburghSports.com. Uh, Rod Woodson had some interesting things to say about the Steelers' defense and their lack of playmakers. If there's a guy who can turn into a dynamic playmaker that's on the defense now that's not named Cam Hayward, who is it? We'll ask him next. It's ESPN Pittsburgh. I'm Devin. I deliver sandwiches for Jimmy John's. Freetown! Population Devin. We'll deliver one sandwich. Minimum freak. Or hundreds of sandwiches. Infinity freak. However many you want. You're mayor of Freetown, Devin. Freaky fresh, freaky fast, Jimmy John's, freak yeah. I'm Tammy. I get to Jimmy John's early every day. Freak-a-doodle-doo. To bake bread fresh. Freak-a-doodle-doo. And we keep on baking throughout the day, so it's always fresh for our customers. That's all. Doodaloo, freak-a-doo. Freaky fresh, freaky fast, Jimmy John's, freak yeah. If I eat two hamburgers a day, cheeseburgers, in fact, just to be factual here, Tom, for this week, how much do I jack my cholesterol, do you think? Not too much. You don't think it's that bad? No. <coughs> I'm dying. 